It's that human to human is really interesting, isn't it? Because I don't know if you're B2B, you're B2C, you're still speaking to and selling to and engaging with other humans. And it's such an important part of what we do. And it really resonated at that particular time. And it still does now. So it, you know, it's all about luck, timing, and a little bit of hard work all coming together. And you know, the, the message really has helped to grow our business and, and help our clients as well. The events are all run under Chatham House rules. So anything you know that's said in the room doesn't leave the room and throw into that you know a little bit of wine it kind of then lubricates the conversation a little bit and then all of a sudden you've got people opening up about their issues they're quite happy to share because they know it's you know it only stays within those four walls and the clients get real value from those conversations and the guests get real value from those conversations because craig said that you know they're sharing their experiences they're you know they become a collective for the duration of that, that event welcome to season five of the making a marketer podcast with your hosts megan powers with event marketing partners and power of marketing and Jen Cole with Gretemann Group and Xstand. This show is for all levels of experience talking marketing and business with the best guests in the industry. It's important to keep up on the latest trends and topics and this is just the spot to guarantees you will learn and laugh. Here we go. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 108 of the Making a Marketer podcast. I'm Megan Powers, and my co-host, my trusty sidekick, my good friend, Jen Cole. How are you today? I'm terrific today. You how a, are you today? I'm pretty good. I'm no longer on my most recent contract, which is very exciting for anyone who's listened closely to the show. It's been a stressful time. So as they say, I'm on the beach at the moment waiting for my next project, which was a real was really good timing for me getting COVID. <laughs> because... <laughs> I mean, of all time, it's a good time. It was almost as if the gods are like, hey, we'll just go ahead and give it to her now. But this is our last episode of season five. It is. Crazy, wow, right? that went that went by so fast. Where I does know. the time go? It's crazy. Five years. And so for our guests today, you will be invited back for a reunion. Um, if you've not listened to this show before, we do we kick off each new season. We're in August, we write, invite everyone back from the previous season. And it's this crazy whirlwind. Every 15 minutes, we rotate people in and out. And we ask them one big question and see what they've been up to. And of course, part of that is to draw attention to the episode that they were on. So if anyone is a new listener and wants to go back and listen to their episodes, it's always funny when it's you're the last show, show of the season. It's like, oh, we've kind of just talked. It hasn't been a year or anything. What have you been doing for the last three weeks? <laughs> exactly. But you have a little uh, event on Thursday. Yeah, you have yeah. social media week. Yeah, Wichita, we have. Or uh, social media day, Wichita. What do you call it? Yeah, it's social media day, Wichita. It's an event that we have as an organization called, called Digital Wichita. We have been hosting the seventh event, eight years, seventh event. And I'm, oh, it's a big week. It's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, you guys were talking pre-show about nerves. I tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> Wearing a lot of hats this time, and that makes the anxiety go up just a little bit, but it's going to be so much fun. Yeah, well, hosting the after party at your house probably... <sighs> has added a bit <laughs> to There's that. some added stress to that. Although we have, we we're ready. We're ready. So that's all that really matters. And it's going to be a blast. And then, yeah, it's going to be great. 
It will be, I'm sure. Everyone will have a great time and you'll be amazing in your talk. Well, thank you. So this is a marketing podcast and I am a marketer, of course, but as our longtime listeners know, first and foremost, foremost, I'm an event professional. So the topic of today's show is near and dear to my heart. I've also been hosting event-focused podcasts for the last couple of years. The current one is called Trade Show Talk for Trade Show News Network. So we haven't had an episode about events on this show in quite a while. And so I'm very excited for our guests on this final episode of season five. They are actually clients of mine, colleagues I work with for, I guess. So welcome to the show from Chief Nation, Richard Porter and Craig McCartney. Hey, Megan. How you doing? (laughs) Hi, Megan. Hi. hi. This is exciting being able to be on this side of the mic. It's very exciting. I think, you know, the season finale is going to go off with a bang. So very excited. Yeah, it's nice to be on a podcast where I actually don't know what's going to come next. So this is, uh, I think that's where maybe those nerves are coming from that we were just talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, like this show is like got a different flow than a lot of shows. And I will give questions in advance to guests who have to have them because some people just have to be prepared and want to know what they're going to say. But for my money, the best shows come from from more organic conversations that evolve out of the things that that we're talking about. Now, we do have questions, of course, because we are prepared professionals, but we'll see where this goes. All right. (laughs) And I did want to mention the show is made possible by Powers of Marketing. We focus on strategic content creation, including podcast and event production hosting. And Emma, seeing that is the direction I decided to take my own company. So I'm going to read Richard and Craig's bios Richard Porter is managing director and co-owner of UK-based Chief Nation. Richard has worked for Chief Nation since its early days and has helped it grow from a few people renting spare desks in another company's office to the thriving agency it is now. Richard has performed most jobs in the agency, but is now the managing director responsible for the company's finances and operations. Richard is a keen jogger and enjoys walks with his dog Cecil, watching box sets, that's interesting. That to me was like, hey, wait a minute. I know what that is. Uh, some of our listeners might not. <laughs> Mixing electronic music of various genres. Richard also enjoys going to see his favorite DJs perform in venues around the world, combining his love of music and travel. All right. Craig McCartney, also managing director and co-owner of UK-based Chief Nation. Craig is a technology enthusiast with over 17 years experience in the marketing, advertising, and technology industries. Part of his role as one of three managing directors of Global of the global B2B agency Chief Nation is managing the sales and marketing side of the business across the UK, the US, and EU. Another aspect of his role has him hosting events, and he has spoken at hundreds of technology-focused C-suite events, podcasts, conferences, and webinars. On a personal level, he loves sports and plays golf regularly. He's often training for some sort of endurance activity, mainly triathlons. Are you very, very slow, very slow? I was going to say, okay, current, (laughs) do you have a current race that you're training for? Uh, Actually, no. Well, Richard and I have just about to sign up for a big swim, aren't we, Richard, in September? Yes, indeed we are. Have we done that yet? Have we still got to do that? No, not yet. No, we'll sign up together. Maybe it's Okay. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, I, I'll wait till you sign up before I sign up. I think. Okay. Thanks, <laughs> sure host. Thanks for having happen. us, Megan. 
Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, and I didn't mention it, but what I I hope you in my my envy of my wino friends that I host these chief wine officer events for you. And so I don't have any specific CWO questions, but um, in these questions, we're talking to talk broadly about events, which of course, that's a main part of it. But I feel like, you know, you do some other things. So I didn't want to like narrow it to just that. All right. So I think that's good with the intros. Jen, you want to kick us off? You bet. But first off, I have to say, so when I was reading through the doc and when I saw the the calendar invite, I kept seeing Chief Nation. And that's a really big deal for me because in my part of the world, we consider Chiefs Nation, (laughs) Chiefs Kingdom, you know, for the Kansas City Chiefs, which by the way, I'm a ginormous fan of. Uh I think it's a sign that this is meant to be, this is meant to be an amazing (laughs) conversation. So I just had to put that out that's awesome. <laughs> <Surprise>. <laughs> <So> <laughs> let's get on into it. All right. So we have a friend named Brian Kramer who wrote a book called Human to Human, H2H. Essentially, there's no B2B or B2C, but human to human because it's all people doing the work. Your UK-based agency, Chief Nation, has trademarked digital to human. Craig, can you tell us about what's behind that? Of course, yes. So it was strange timing, really, because we were going through a rebrand just before COVID entered all of our lives um, all those years ago. And part of the rebrand was how do we convert digital engagement, digital connections into face-to-face activity? And how do we, you know, how do we speak to these humans that our clients want to speak to that, you know, to facilitate new business relationships? So part of our rebrand was trying to understand the ways that we could do that. And then uh, literally, I think the week or two that we were about to launch COVID, COVID hit London and, uh, and we had to go fully digital. So the term digital to human made even more sense at that time, because, you know, everyone is living in this digital or virtual world. And uh, part of our service is getting people face to face so that they can start a conversation, discuss, you know, the latest technologies, and then hopefully there's a need to follow through with that and, you know, implement the tech and, and use it to improve whatever it is they're trying to improve. But I think to summarize, it's, you know, creating digital connections, which then lead on to human interaction. And we do that through various ways in terms of, you know, the way we market or help technology companies um, go to market. Rich, what have I missed? I think that sums up really well. I mean, uh, one of our clients referred to us as, what was it, digital business dating agency or something like that. And that kind of, it basically gave us the sort of, well, it was the starting point of that conversation of, you know, converting, making those connections between business individuals and uh, doing it from, you know, starting off with using digital means and then converting that into a, a sort of a human interaction, a human engagement. What's quite nice is that we often kind of use that analogy of being a sort of a, a first date at our event, say, where, you know, they get to sort of know each other a little bit. They don't necessarily give away too much, but it, it leads to them wanting to have a follow-up date to find out a little bit more. And then that that sort of relationship is then established and it goes on from there. So that's sort of where it stemmed from, I think. Matchmakers. Yeah, 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 that's really interesting. It's really but interesting. It's that human to human is really interesting, isn't it? Because I don't know if you're B2B, you're B2C, you're still speaking to and selling to and um, engaging with other humans. And it's such an important part of what we do. And it really resonated at that particular time. And it still does now. So I think we're, you know, it's all about luck, timing, 
and a little bit of hard work all coming together. And you know, the the message really has helped to grow our business and and help our clients as well. Yeah, I mean, you're you're even if you're digital communicating digitally, you're still a human um, doing so. So <laughs> that's awesome. All right. And it's some of these questions actually will might bleed into each other, which is why I love how, you know, things can kind of evolve. So kind of on that, your company moved to exclusively on events, online events like the rest of the world when COVID hit. And then I ended up coming on board to help host US-based online events in September for chief wine officer. I think I've done 11 so far. Richard, can you share with our listeners how did your business grow due to that surge of online events? And then also how things evolving again as, as things are opening up again? So we were- we were, we were quite well placed really to pivot into that digital virtual event space quite quickly because going back maybe six, five or six years ago, we were doing online wine tasting events for Citrix and, and British Telecom. So the, 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 the premise of that was that if you cast your mind back a few years ago when people didn't have video webcam technology readily available, in order to have a video call with someone, you had to go to an office that had those facilities. And there used to be these kind of booths where you'd sit on a boardroom table that was kind of like cut in half with screens on one side and people sat on the other side. And on the screen were the people sat on the other side of the boardroom, which would be somewhere else in the world. And you'd be able to have a boardroom meeting without having to to get everybody to travel to the same place. And we showcased that technology with those guys by doing a wine tasting. So no matter where you were on each side of that boardroom table, you were tasting the same wines. You could see the technology was so good that you could see the color of the wine and you got that same sort of sensory experience, even though it was on screen. So everybody was having the same sort of 3D experience, even though it was a 2D uh, exchange. So we kind of had this idea uh, quite a few years ago. And then obviously... Um, you know, technology improved and then, you know, webcams became available and video, people could video each other on their phones and their laptops, et cetera. So that kind of technology became slightly obsolete in the scale that it was on, but people were, the appetite for, you know, communicating through screen was there. But then obviously the, the pandemic accelerated that massively. And then all of a sudden, you know, we felt there was still an appetite for people to meet and have conversations and do business with each other, but they couldn't do it face to face. So we had this, you know, very quickly spun up this idea of, well, let's take our live event format of this chief wine officer format of, you know, people coming together to meet and talk about business and taste wine and put it back in the digital space. We'll send all of the individuals, no matter where they are, uh, the same wines to taste from their homes, get everybody on a Zoom platform to have that wine tasting, discuss business and it kind of spun from there. But what was what was great about that is that in the past, when we've been doing live events, if we'd been doing an event in London or New York or San Francisco, you would only be attracting a live uh, a local audience to that event. They would have to be based, lo- you know, locally to be able to get to that event physically. Now, what what now happens is we do an event that's West Coast, and you get all the people that are relevant that can go to that event because they can just join from their home or their office. That you know, covering that uh, that time zone, we send them the wine. They can dial in at their, you know, from the comfort of their own homes and still join in with that wine tasting. Still get that century experience, that three D experience. And of course, then you know, the demand for that 
then grew and grew and grew. So, you know, we could do where well, we used to be only be able to do 70 to 80 events per year because of all the logistics that come with traveling and setting up a physical event. We suddenly were doing 250 events a year because they were, you know, the demand was there and they were easy to put on. We were able to get the people there. And so, yeah, it's kind of grown from there. So that then fed through to us needing more people. And throughout the pandemic, we actually grew by about another third, I think it was to sort of cope with that demand. Amazing. Well, not just getting people from across the country, but I see two other things that, you know, no carbon footprint, right? Like there's huge value still in being face-to-face when we can do it, but the volume of events that you're able to do and, and not have an impact on the environment, um, I think is pretty amazing. But also the way that you split people in breakouts, they may end up talking to people that they wouldn't have talked to necessarily at an event if they're sitting at a dinner table, right? And depending on where they got seated, And so I think that's pretty cool too, how you can not just do that, but you can also tweak it, right? Like based on maybe the client last minute, like, oh, hey, let's put these with these versus on-site where you wouldn't want to be like, "Eh, would you mind sitting over there? (laughs) You know, kind of a thing at the table. So awesome. Well, I really enjoy being a part of it. It's much, much harder to be a shrinking violet on on a Zoom call because, you know, you're, you're all looking at each other. You're all got eye contact with each other. Whereas... You know, at a, as a physical event, you can sort of drift into the background a little bit and disappear if you really want to. Well, but, yeah. I mean, you can turn your camera off. Which, you know, <laughs> well, yeah. Folks true, do. But... <laughs> also, fun fact, on the last one I hosted, there was a guest who I used to work with. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Crazy. And I'm Whoa. like, wait a minute. Oh, my gosh. 20 years ago. Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah. So he and I had a little chat in the, uh, in, in the Zoom <laughs> chat. It was fun. Added value. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, Well, okay. So in terms of marketing to draw people to your events, can you talk about how your team uses marketing to draw like high quality participants to your events? Yeah, it's a, we use a very, very personalized, very bespoke approach. It's definitely not the sort of, you know, just pop a list into HubSpot automation and just blast out. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, emails. So what we do is our events are are quite exclusive. They're very small. They're very intimate. uh, And our clients are often looking to speak to very specific individuals, you know, mainly C-level, C-minus ones, um, you know, people making decisions about implementing, you know, big tech within their enterprises. So first thing we have to do is identify who these decision makers are. So that's, you know, quite a bit of work from the the research team. Uh, We then have a database in-house, which we've been building growing for the last 19, 20 years. Of course, it's changed a lot since <laughs> inception. But yeah, we identify the right people. We have to formulate the right message. So, you know, utilizing the client brief, we have to write something that's going to resonate with those decision makers. And then using LinkedIn, one-to-one email, you know, human-to-human outreach, we slowly start to invite these um, very specific people to these events. So the invite lists are very small. You know, we can't really just pop it on social media and hope that everyone signs up because every subject, every event is so niche and particular to, you know, certain job roles that I think that's where our clients see a lot of the value in what we do. But, you know, we'll use the, we'll use email, we use social, um, we use all the usual suspects. We've got direct mail even included in the way we market because we actually ship out 
a box of say, fine wine for the, the sure. chief wine officer events. And like nothing better than getting a, a free box of wine delivered to your, your house is the so it's a great incentive to join in a business event. I think actually during uh, lockdown when people couldn't get wine, it was the only way to get get wine sent to your house, I think. So yeah. real bonus back then. Oh, yeah, I know. I joined two wine subscriptions during the pandemic <laughs> just to not have to get out of the house. Absolutely. <laughs> Dead on right there. That's awesome. That awesome. I only get the bubbly now, but whatever. It's fine. Oh. That's the best bit, though. Best one. Yeah. <laughs> I was a little disappointed with uh, my sense of taste, though, when I hosted an event for you recently. <laughs> I couldn't taste it. It didn't. I just, it wasn't just that I couldn't taste it, is that it didn't, you know, it didn't taste good. So I was like, okay, I got to re cork that. And, uh, and I love your and, dedication, though, Megan. <laughs> even when you got COVID, you're still powering through on the champagne. It's good. good well, to see. I All had to cost. open it because that. <laughs> That's part of the thing is kicking it off by popping the bottle. Yeah. And so I was like, well, it's open. I have to see what it tastes like just to see. But you're not the only Absolutely. one who said that to me. My niece said the same thing. She's like, I appreciate your dedication. I think she used exactly those exact words. <laughs> That's funny. All right. So as I mentioned, you know, I've worked in meetings and events for many years and I actually excelled in sales based almost exclusively on meeting people face-to-face. I did actually my master's thesis on face-to-face versus online. And that's a conversation for another time. I don't know if I've ever told you guys that before. Anyone who's listened to this show has heard me say that many times, but I really appreciate these efforts that you um, make for your clients on this smaller scale? Because for me, always smaller events have always been better, right? Because you see the same people and it's much, it gets more familiar. And connecting them in this way, I think is really cool because ultimately it leads to sales. You wouldn't be still, you wouldn't be growing your business and continuing to do it. So where do you think the real magic is in these experience that you create for your clients? Richard, do you want to start? Where's the real magic? Well, I think the level of engagement is always commented on. So, you know, the, the quality of the guests that we get to these events is always uh, very high quality. That you know, every single guest that comes is pre-approved by by the client. So, no one will come to the event that they don't want to speak to and, and necessarily kind of you know engage with. But particularly at these virtual events, where you mentioned the, the breakout rooms earlier, that's the part of the event that they they always seem to comment on. That's the part of the event that they get the most out out of because we split the the, the group i mean that these events is only 20 or so people anyway but we then split it into sort of three maybe four smaller groups halfway through for them to have a 30 to 40 minute discussion about you know their challenges what the guests might be finding as challenges in in the industry how the client might help them meet those challenges uh, they get to know them a little bit better. I mentioned, you know, the first date analogy, but it's really, you know, that sort of speed date type interaction where they, you know, what is your challenge? What are, what are you doing right now? You know, how can we help? And they they sort of have that initial conversation. And with it being sort of five or so people in each group, they've only got, you know, five or so minutes to speak to each guest in that group, but they, it's enough for them to sort of establish a bit of a relationship with them. So that when they come back, you know, we have a little summary, the group will then close down and then they, you know, the call to action at the end is to follow up with a more detailed discussion about, you know, their challenges and how they really could help. So I think that's, you know, the magic that they're seeing there. The other thing, you know, just, you know, the, the wine is there as a, as a sort of added bit of entertainment, obviously. It's not the, the, the main focus of the event, but 
people do tend to leave our events having had a nice you know experience a nice evening spent with you know some peers and you know uh, prospects etc it's a nice memory that they will then associate with the sponsors of that event will be the ones to follow up and say oh it was great wasn't it the other night you you know you you got some of those questions in the wine quiz correct but it's a nice way into having that follow-up conversation yeah i think and just to sort of echo some of those points there's something about bringing these leaders together where they can open up to each other and share their challenges their insight and hear that maybe they're not going through the same issues maybe you know people either in the same industry or in other industries are going through similar challenges and it sort of it does bring them together and even if it's just to say oh i'm doing okay things aren't that bad you know we can fix this i can work on that and that's also quite a nice element because you know it's quite a can be quite lonely i think at the top when you are so senior so coming together meeting your peers in it's it's quite a relaxed environment what we try and portray you know you you've hosted these events before so it's not a hard sell there's a nice balance of wine tasting. There's, you know, we've got a master of wine who's like the, the cream of the crop when it comes mm-hmm. to the wine tasting experience. So they're there to guide us on this, you know, magical wine tasting journey. And then you've got the, the connecting of these senior executives and, you know, hopefully they walk away having learned something new, having met someone new. And then hopefully the client, you know, like Richard said, there's value in the follow-up discussion because, you know, they've come to solve a problem. So I think the combination of that all of those elements um, does make it quite memorable and we're quite lucky in that regard. One, one other thing to mention is the events are all run under Chatham House rules. So anything, you know, that's said in the, in the room doesn't leave the room and throw into that, you know, a little bit of wine. It kind of then lubricates the conversation a little bit. And then all of a sudden you've got people opening up about, you know, their, their issues. They, they're quite happy to share because they know it's, you know, it only stays within those four walls. And you do get, you know, real value. The clients get real value from those conversations and the guests get real value from those conversations because like Craig said, they, you know, they're, they're sharing their experiences. They're, you know, they, they become a collective for the duration of that, that event. Yeah, for sure. And we do have a question a bit later about that peer-to-peer experience, but I love it. All right. So it is brain break time on this show. And this was a suggestion that our editor actually made. He said, your content is so good, but it can be a lot to hit, like to hear it. So like for so many minutes straight. So maybe you have like a little brain break in the middle. So shout out to Avery, um, our editor who suggested that because it's always, it's been a fun thing. Cause, and then we get to like learn something personal too about, you know, our guests. And so the question today is what was your first concert? And so Jen has had longer to think about it. So I'm I'm going to let, I'm going to let Jen go first and then I'll have the guys go. Jen, what was it? All right. So my first concert is, um, she's younger than us, by the way. So this (laughs) would be, (laughs) don't worry. It's not as, it's not as great as it should be. Uh, I grew up in a very religious household. My parents, like we, like Wednesday nights at the church, Sunday morning at the church, sometimes Sunday nights at the church, like we were at the church all the time. And so my first concert that I went to was with my youth group and we went to see jars of clay christian oh. rock band and so <laughs> it was my first time ever like seeing it like a mosh i don't know who moshes at jars of clay but uh, it was a little too much for me i didn't know what to do i felt claustrophobic and i was like this is terrifying wow <laughs> you didn't want to be put push back jars of clay jars no, of clay wow see. Yeah, how old were you? I think I was in eighth grade, so I was about 14, 15. It was a big deal, but I mean, I concerts are one of my favorite things now live music, concerts, any kind of concerts. But I that was absolutely that was quite the introduction. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) 
All right, Rich. So I grew up near London and I used to go to lots of little gigs here and there. And I, I can mention a few names, but th- th- they're all like tiny little bands that you probably wouldn't have ever heard of. And I've never heard of them since. But my first <laughs> big, big concert was going to see Oasis play in 1996. They did a big kind of one day festival in um, a place called Nebworth. There was about 100,000 people there, but it was it was a, a, a great experience to sort of introduce you to sort of those kind of big events. And I was a big, a big Oasis fan at the time. I was heavily into them. Not so much now, but, but yeah, that was probably my my first big concert experience. So oh, I think you're I younger think. than I thought you were based on that answer. This is funny. <laughs> my, mine is going to so date me. It's going to be really bad. Craig, what was yours? <laughs> well, mine, an American band, actually. I grew up in South Africa. So I think around 98, 99, Counting Crows came uh, down to Johannesburg. And that was my first proper concerts. I think they're making a comeback now as well, aren't they? I think they're doing a big tour. I know they're coming to the UK. So uh, that's some nostalgia for you right there. Heck yeah. Those guys are awesome. Counting Crows, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, I just saw Black Crows. So that's why I was like, I needed to, you know, that in in my head, they're not the same band, but they, I always think of them together for some reason. Okay. So now mine's going to be a little embarrassing. Um, I grew up, I went to a private Catholic school and we had a high school that was like the feeder high school, you know, that was also Catholic next door. And they did this concert series a few years in a row where they had a band come and play in the gym. And so technically that's my first one. But then I saw a really big band in a big arena after that. So I was kind of qualified with that. So the first one was, it was Huey Lewis in the news. I was in sixth grade. Nice. Um, nice. And yeah, fun. so I'm like, is that a real concert? But of course, I mean, he's had some um, staying power, I guess. He's still kind of in the ether, like he's out there. Heck yeah. Um, it's still kind of, but um, of course, all the 80s bands uh, have made their way back into the concert circuit. But yeah, but then a year later on a school night, my brother in law took me to see Def Leppard at the Oakland Coliseum. Oh boy. Um, and so that was like real concert. <laughs> wow. All the things about it, right? The what, the what people were, the smell you know, around me, what people were doing and all that good stuff. But the best part was that my brother-in-law bought me a t-shirt and I had free dress the next day, which if you went to private school, you understand that that's like a big free dress is a big deal. Well, you know, like, so the last Friday of the month is free dress and, or something like, I forget whatever it was. And so I wore my shirt and I was like, yes. not, and I wasn't cool in school until that day. <laughs> and then I was the coolest kid in school. They're like, no way you went. I'm like, Mm-hmm. Way. <laughs> I, I do this kind of stuff all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was pretty special. But yeah, I'm officially old. Jen, you want to kick off this? I can <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. No, I, I loved your answers. Oh, to see them, that would be amazing. All right. So here we go. Back at it. All right. I'm a big believer in the ability to build strong and vibrant communities online. It's one of my favorite things to do. A big component of your events is to help facilitate business opportunities for your clients, which is really important. Do you have any insight as to whether relationships are also developed between attendees through your events? I can go, Rich. Um, yeah, so Richard and I have hosted these events uh, for quite a few years now, uh, and we we do see we encourage it, you know, we, we definitely promote that as the benefit to attending these events. And we mention that we hope it's not the last time that they either see each other or connect. So we all share their LinkedIn information with each other and we hope that they do. And, and you know, after every handful of events or 
whatever the case is, people do reach out and say, oh, do you mind put me in touch with this person or whatever the case is. So we know that those events definitely facilitate those sort of connections. Of course, the the, the client will actively pursue connecting uh, and trying to follow up with all the guests. But uh, it's really nice to see when uh, the guests see value in what they're talking about, what they're sharing. And, and you can see even in the chat, sometimes they're exchanging emails and contact information. And that's, you know, I'd always wonder what becomes of that. And right. you, you would love to be like a fly on the wall for the, you know, a live case study. But I guess that, that's my marketing sales, you know, person really pushing through there. But um, that's why we're here. You know, we're here to to get you face to face. We're here to facilitate these new business connections. So when we see it happening, it, it is um, it is quite worthwhile. And we hopefully the client means that they're going to be coming back as well to us. So Richard, yeah, I, what you said. I mean, it's you know, it'll be, it'll be lovely to set up something like a, you know a, a chief wine officer social media platform or something. You know that they can all. <laughs> you know, get in touch with each other post-event, pre-event, et cetera. But, um, you know, that's that's for a company with probably a lot more budget than us, but <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be great. Even if it's just to talk, you know, about their love of wine, it doesn't necessarily have to be always about the business. It's not always right. about work. You know, you don't go to a, a live event yeah. and just talk business and talk about challenges. You talk about getting to know the person, what they like, what was their first concept. And it's about building rapport and establishing a connection. And then, you know, keeping that connection, things like LinkedIn and, and even Zoom now enable that uh, so much. But yeah, we do enjoy it. And, you know, like we said, that everyone leaves pretty happy after yeah. those events. So, Well, it, it's cool because, it, I mean, you're doing it for, you. It, the, each one is sponsored, right? You have a client who it's their event, but the byproduct is the byproduct that I have always felt is been the most valuable, even in leadership when I've been like running sessions for, for my sorority as an alumna, always that peer-to-peer was the single most valuable thing that everyone said they got out of that. Like they appreciate learning from someone who maybe knows more than them. But beyond that, they appreciate that that opportunity to talk to someone who's in their shoes and who can definitely relate on the same level. So I, I love that that's a, a byproduct of it, of your events. That's awesome. I think I think it's also a measure of success when an event doesn't want to end. So, you know, we used to have this a lot with the live events, but, you know, people would stay and stay and stay right after dinner and they're just, you know, carrying on you know, having a drink and chatting around the table. And we tried to simulate that a little bit on the digital events as well, where we kind of have a digital lock-in after it finishes. So anyone that wants to stay on the link, you know, can stay and carry on the conversation. It's not structured. It's just a, a free, you know, free discussion. And that happens quite a bit. And we've had, you know, reports back. We we drop off ourselves, just lead them to it. But we've had reports back that, you know, the event went on for another hour and a half after we left. So, you know, there's there's clearly appetite there for them to, you know, to be you know, making those connections, whether it be with the client or peer-to-peer. Yeah, I for sure. The wine, I think the wine as well gives you that sort of extra layer of confidence as well. You know, because you, you always think, oh, I, maybe I shouldn't answer, ask that question or, or maybe I shouldn't say that because everyone will think, oh, you know, I'm I'm not the smartest person in the room or whatever the case is. And after two wines, we're like, no, I'm just going to say it. And then someone will say, oh, I was going to ask that question, but, you know, I was uh, I was too afraid to or whatever the case is. 
It's definitely no no such thing as a a question not worth asking, from what I've seen anyway. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too. Some events, there are tons of wine questions. I mean, like in the chat, like that's all. So like to your point before of it's not just about the business. It, it's also about the wine and about personal things. But also I think some people fancy themselves as wine experts and they kind of want to show, kind of show that off. And so I think <laughs> they try to show that by the questions that they ask the, the wine ex- expert and how they lead into. I always learn a ton. I mean, like it's, I, I enjoy it because I love what I do, but also it's just, oh, very interesting, like the conversations. And then every every one of your wine experts, um, which is almost always a master of wine, which if, you, if you're listening and you don't know, like that's the pinnacle, like you can spend seven years trying to get, you know, people go, oh, a sommelier. No, no, this is like way above a sommelier. Like it's bananas what they have to go through to get the, and the people that you have, they're, you know, they're among of like, you know, less than 500 of them in the world. So it's pretty rad. I'd love to see like a master of wine, just straight on fight a master sommelier and see who who wins because I think there's a lot of competition between yeah cage match (laughs) to the end um or just yeah or a drinking competition you know not necessarily ending in violence let's yeah let's not promote that but yeah yeah if you call a master of wine and master sommelier then they're very quickly correct yeah I think that's so funny you mentioned before, Craig, that you're, you know, sales and marketing guy. So like the numbers, but and I'm like, I'm not a data head, but Jen in general attest to this. I very much love data. I don't like being the wrangler of it, but I definitely love seeing numbers and like what has come from things. So do you get specific feedback? I'm curious because you mentioned this, like you wish you could kind of like, you know, see what has come from these relationships between the peers. But do you get specific feedback from your clients about how much business has been generated? Like what what kind of business? they might have closed from events that they held. I mean, obviously you do a lot of repeat business. So that says a lot. They keep coming back. But do you get that kind of data? I think we, you know, we do like to get that sort of um, data back from the clients. You know, it's a tricky question because I don't think people want to share exactly how much potential they got off an event. Um, Some of the clients as well, they'll have products which are sort of entry level. So, you know, they might get like a a small sale, but then over two to three to five years, that turns into a multi-million pound multi-million dollar deal. Uh, we did a series of events uh, with a, a client called Yellow Brick, who are um, they provide a data warehousing um, technology. And I think I, I got that right. <laughs> I hope so anyway, if they, if they are listening. But they they did confirm, you know, after about 20 of these small intimate events, they, they could attribute about $6 million to Pipeline. And we're actually about to release that case study. There have been other cases where we've been told directly, but we're not allowed to use them out loud. And some of it is, you know, you go, oh, that's why we're doing what we do in the big clients keep on coming back, but yeah. well, I wish we could get that more information from, from them. Well, part of my study that I did for my thesis, what was so interesting is that I surveyed executives in charge of budgets. I surveyed exhibitors who may or may not be salespeople, event organizers, and attendees who may or may not be buyers. And everyone has a very different perspective on what is valuable out of an mm. event. And the the executives, I felt were a little short-sighted in like what they think and what their salespeople think is valuable from, from these face-to-face encounters that they're having in this. I had to focus on trade shows because events in general was too broad, but it goes to the point of like, well, then when do you consider if I didn't close that business until a year later, there's still value in having met that person at that show. So I do think that within the meetings and events industry, like there is a challenge there with of, uh, seeing that 
seeing the results from pipeline, especially on the event organizer level of like knowing what you just know that people rebook their booth. Right. But you don't, I don't think that it would be amazing if they could get more insight into that, into like, okay, what, what actually came of it, but to your point too. And, and like I said, it can be a long time. I, I mean, I, when I was selling audiovisual production, it was, you know, people are in two or three year contracts. And so sometimes you might not get an opportunity until way later. But, and that's why this face-to-face time was so valuable to me because I was building relationships, wasn't selling. Wow. And that's the point, right? Like on these yeah. events, they're just, they're getting to know each other and they're talking about what they're dealing with. They're not like trying to sell to each other. Yeah. I, I think it's difficult in some organizations if they have, um, you know, KPIs that have to be hit constantly targets need to be met, you know, commission needs to be paid and they'll always go after the easiest, quickest deal um, to start filling those numbers. And and I think sometimes the longer term play is, you know, underappreciated, definitely. So I would confirm uh, your statement. <laughs> awesome. All right, Jen. All righty. I'm going to, let's see. So I you just switched a- it up on her behind the scenes. <laughs> I just changed her question. <laughs> I looked at the time and I'm like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. We've had like an incredible conversation. Yeah. To, to kind of start wrapping this up though, you have a community of more than 330,000 C-level executives that your team works with. And you, of course it's, it's been a long game. It's taken 20 years to get there, but can you talk about how your agency has evolved over the years and share any advice that you might have for people running agencies uh, for how to stick with it? Sure. I mean, I, I mean, I've been there since the very, very start, really. I mean, for the first couple of years, it was really just a one-man band with David, uh, our sort of founder and chairman, and kind of running a bit of a consultancy business on his own. When I joined, there was three other people there, I think, and we were at that time. He was helping, particularly financial technology companies sell into the financial services sector because he came from that background and he understood the financial services industry, how it worked, you know, all the kind of intricacies of that particular sector and and those people to go to with a particular pitch. So he was working with those individuals, helping them write their sales pitch and actually going to sales meetings with them and, and using his contact network to set up those meetings as well. When I joined, then they just started doing a bit of help with some of our clients to get people to events as well. So the, I think the initial request was through to David saying, can you use your network to see if we can get a few people to come to our event? And the, you know, our event format kind of sprung from there, really, because having attended many events around that time, and probably still, actually, there was a heavy focus on the business content that's kind of delivered at a lot of events with a, a slight, you know, opportunity at the end for, for 15 minutes to network over coffee. And what a lot of people do is they go along to these events, not just to listen to the, the business content, but also, like we've talked about, you know, meet their peers and do a bit of networking and sort of see what's going on. That sort of spun up the, the the chief wine officer event format to create this event format, which is conducive to network networking. It's conducive to, you know, sharing of business ideas. It's you know, it's a it's a format. It's a it's an environment that's conducive to you know getting those people together to you know share a bit of thought leadership. So, so we started doing more in that space and less in the kind of the consultancy space just purely from demand which kind of led to you know the the company growing uh, just to kind of help with executing those events um you know doing all the logistics around that and as we've kind of grown we've you know we've kind of gone 
backwards and forwards between you know doing purely events and then doing a bit more digital marketing we got to a stage where we were doing quite a lot of events but they were quite seasonal so we would have these big sort of peaks and troughs in the amount of business that we were delivering through so we then focused quite a lot on to build we had a really well established event side of our business but we then started focusing on building up properly building up this digital offering that we have as well where it's not just purely events focused it's you know creating digital content creating you know sales driven kind of marketing campaigns as um, so that kind of bridged the gap between these peaks and troughs as well and kind of get to keep the revenue coming through and that's helped us kind of sustainably grow you know since since doing that you know we've always got a bit more of an idea about how to forecast what's going to be coming through for the next quarter the next half and and the next year and so on i think what's interesting about that is um you know richard means those peaks and those troughs and it's only when because richard works a lot on this sort of brings a lot of data um into his role uh, and it enables us to make some really important decisions because you start to see where the gaps are and you try and work out how to evolve either your products or your services, you know, to, to meet those, those needs and still provide value for your clients. And then one of the best ways that we've grown, I would say, is by saying no. We just, we started saying no a lot because, you know, I think there's a, sometimes clients are like, right, I got budget. I need this done now. This is, you know, here's the money. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I'll take it. Let's do it. Let's, we can do it. And then you don't deliver because you're not prepared. You're not giving yourself enough time. And now the client's lasting memory of you is going to be a bad one. So we just said, you know, keep your budget. And this is when we can start working with you. And, and since we start to started to plan out our years with a bit more, I guess, you know, forward thinking well, more strategically and saying no, you know, we got a bit more respect from our clients. We got a bit more time to plan properly and, you know, deliver really uh, powerful programs. And, and Richard then again mentioned the word sustainable, which is interesting because we never ever, we could have grown a lot quicker, but then we never knew it was around the corner. So it was always very calculated growth, ensuring that we could bring on work and then have the resource to deliver while maximizing you know, everyone's time, um, you know, with a lot of efficiency. And myself, Laura, who's the other managing director, and Richard, and we all are uh, the MDs, but we all come to the party with different skills, different talents, and we work together really well. And, you know, we, we drink a lot of wine together. And um, I think that, you know, I think it's a, it's a good combination. We don't, we're not just sharing the load individually. Uh, which I think helps. And obviously we, we lean on David, the chairman as well, um, quite a lot because, you know, he he founded the business and we've been lucky enough to be included in that. Did Jen's, that answer? Jen and, yeah, absolutely. Jen and I are, are both, I thought she was going to pop in with her agency. We both have owned our own agencies. And so um, we're, we're intimately familiar with yeah. last minute. Yeah. And the saying no part really got me because I was like, I mean, just this week for my own, like, like, you know, community involvement, I had to say no to a project I thought would be really cool. But, you know, I have a lot on my plate right now. And I had to say no. And it was a really hard thing for me to do. But I was like, you know what? If I take this on, everything's going to overflow. As I told the person, I just, it, it's not the time. Sometimes yeah. it's just not the time. I did not learn how to do that early, but I know how to do it now. <laughs> Rich, sorry, what were you saying? I was going to say, it's all about transparency as well. I mean, we, yeah. you know, when we did the rebrand, we also, you know, created a set of values that we we sort of live and work by. And, um, you know, being transparent and honest is one of those things that we 
we do and you know we work with each other like it uh, internally we work with our clients like it. we work with our suppliers like it you know we we don't want to pull the wool over anyone's eyes because there's no benefit to that because it can come and you know bite you on the on the backside if if, if things go wrong and like right. Craig said you know you're judged really by the success of your the last thing you did with someone so if the last yeah. thing you did with someone was great they'll carry on working with you and that's really helped us you know that that approach has really helped us get repeat business coming through over and over again and and also recommendations to to other companies as well so I think yeah that's definitely helped us grow. Is there a plan to go back face to face have you already started having in-person events again or what's that what are you doing yeah. there? Yeah, definitely. That that's our heritage. That's what we we know and love. Right. And th- there's hugely huge benefits to keeping everything digital as well. So we, you know that's still going to be part of what we do now. I think it's here to stay. And we're rolling out the the dinners and live events here in the UK, moving into Europe, and then hopefully we'll be back in the US and um, by end of your early next year at least by first quarter next year (laughs) well i mean i am in san diego which is you know not a bad place in terms of tech companies and i mean weather (laughs) obviously Um, (laughs) but la is right up the road san francisco is easy for me to get to so just let me know i'm ready for it (laughs) (laughs) it's good to know fabulous okay well we like to ask every guest a our final question for everyone is what is a business book that you recommend to our listeners Rich, what's your book and why? Well, I've chosen a book that was written by a guy that actually came to one of our events and actually did a presentation on the book. The book's called Will It Make the Boat Go Faster? And it's by a guy called Ben Hunt Davis. The book is really just about performance, you know, making a team perform well. The talk that he does is actually, the reason it's called Will It Make the Boat Go Faster is that he was an Olympic rower. In fact, I think he was in the Olympic team, the GB, Team GB, that won gold in Los Angeles, I think, quite a way back. But their whole ethos on their team was every single thing that they did was they they asked the question if i do this will it make the boat go faster and and it just applied to every single thing and so the application obviously then is that you can transform that from the sporting world into a business and you can you know you can ask yourselves questions constantly throughout the day if i do this will it make the company perform better so you know it's quite an easy sort of concept concept to grasp and you know with my operational kind of hat on it sort of applies quite well to my my role. Perfect. I have a book it problem now because I keep buying every book that our guests are recommending. They're adding up quite quickly. <laughs> Craig, <laughs> what's yours? Just to Rich, Megan, I have the same problem because I also host a, another podcast on uh, CEO.digital and I've gone, my list is huge. I have not read any of them, I have to admit. But this book was, I probably read it about five or six times and I'm, my background is in advertising and copywriting. That's how I started my career. And this book was very inspirational to me. And and some of the things I still use to this day come from this book. And it's called, It's Not How Good You Are, It's How Good You Want to Be. And it's by Paul Arden, who was a um, a big creative director for Saatchi and Saatchi, who was, um, you know, pretty big deal in the advertising industry many years ago. But it's, you could read it in your lunch break. It's just, yeah, big, big text, uh, lots of quotes. Uh, it's very interesting and a few quite a few pictures yeah it's honestly it's really good it just makes you think slightly differently about the words that you use and and how to use words to get that conversion or to sell or to inspire or you know they it's it's critical to any business copywriting is 
you know, um, is one of the most important elements, I think, in B2B, in B2C. So, yeah, I think H read it. H. H to H, D to H, you know, all those lovely <laughs> acronyms. <laughs> Well, and Jen and I are both writers, so we'll have to snatch that up. We had our episode 100 guest was Anne Hanley, who has a book called Everybody Writes. And it's amazing. Talk about easy to read. The chapters are very short. So for somebody who made a pledge to read a chapter a day of a book, (laughs) um, I opened that and I was like, hey, I can do this. (laughs) Very easy. But yeah, I recommend that if you haven't checked her out. She's also a great keynote. She would be good for anything that anybody has if you need someone to talk. She's awesome. She's a great storyteller. So which makes for the best writing, right? Stories. Exactly. All right. Well, cool. we can't thank you enough for being our final guest. This is a wonderful <laughs> way to close out season five. I think that we all learned a lot from you. Our listeners will definitely get value out of this, especially the agency owners, because I think, you yeah. know, you know, it can be a lonely place when you're doing it by yourself or when you're the head of an agency that, you know, whatever the size, you guys have each other to lean on, talk about peer to peer, right? But I think we have a lot of listeners who are going it on their own. And so any help from people who are doing it successfully is, is I think, pretty amazing. So thank you very much for that. Yeah, thanks for having us on. It's been it's been great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity. All right, and Jen, we will speak before season six starts, of course. Of course. Uh, but I'll be I'll start to schedule our reunion shows before too long. We uh, usually take July off, but I've been the last few years doing some bonus episodes, and so I'm working on on that so that we don't so that we keep our in our listeners' ears, yeah. right? And we don't kind of lo- lose that momentum. But thank you everyone for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please do take a moment to rate and review us because that gets us heard by more people. All right. This has been episode 108 of the Making a Marketer podcast, and we will catch you next time.